Hi, everyone. Uh, my name's Alice, if you haven't met me before. Uh, I work for Bread. It's really nice to see you all. Um, especially welcome if this is your first time. It's nice to have you. Um, so at college, I um, studied world religions and philosophy. And I kind of perfectly, uh, I perfectly fitted into the stereotypes I'm sure many of you can come up with for a philosophy major. Uh, I was opinionated, argumentative, still am. Um, I had a very pluralistic outlook on faith and spirituality. And um, I was going to say I had an ability to quote Nietzsche in times of distress. It's complete bull. I never did that. Um, I came to realize that there was a key element to our humanness, our desire for connectedness, um, our search for understanding and meaning that I and also most philosophers I read, uh, kind of were unable to explain. At the heart of things, there seemed to be a mystery, uh, inconclusiveness to who we were. And while I was writing this talk, I read one of my essays back, and I previously explained it like this. There is something at the heart of things, a depth, which paradoxically could also be described as emptiness. What is most frustrating about this depth is that each of us seems desperate to uncover it, to search within it. But we, we appear endlessly unable to find whatever it is that we're looking for. Is there even something to find? Perhaps the search for meaning is infinite. Wow. Hello, past Alice. <laughs> a lot of hope there from me. Um, but in some sense, the foundational question I'm asking rings true. Where does humanity search for meaning? And do these avenues actually fulfill us? What is universally discussed amongst the majority of philosophical study is that there are four main ways that humans you and I and our families and friends, Christians, non-Christians, atheists, spiritualists, there's four main ways that we uh, go looking for meaning and connection. Love, sex, death, which is also less dramatically described as hedonism or uh, indulgence, but philosophers love drama. So love, sex, indulgence, and religion. Just some light topics for you this Sunday. But as I studied and explored these topics, I found myself mostly in conversation with my friend Morena. She's a deep thinker, and she's philosophical, she's wicked smart. Uh, she is one of those people who jumped straight into the deep end of a discussion. And no topic ever seemed off bounds, nothing seemed shocking to her. She was rarely offended. She just like loves being challenged by different opinions. She loves other perspectives. And what was most compelling about her was that she was always willing to admit if she just didn't know. I don't know. Who knows? She didn't ever need a clear-cut answer. She was happy to sit with the tension of uncertainty. And Morena was my first ever Christian friend. And she invited me to church. But let's just be honest. 
that isn't always our experience of Christians. And often our experiences of Christians who try and talk about their faith is often the greatest motivation we can have for wanting to be disassociated from them altogether, even if we are one. It kind of makes us squirm and feel embarrassed and be like, I would not do it like that. And arguably, for people out there in our city, the closest consistent representation of who they understand to be Jesus, at absolute worst, billboards, picketers, peddling eternal hell and damnation, which is shocking and awe-inspiring only in its complete lack of love and respect for people. And at absolute best, maybe a vague belief that maybe everyone could all just get along if we really, really loved each other because Jesus really, really loved people. And of course, there's kind of the middle, muddy ground of other experiences, especially for those who have had an experience of the church, potentially extremely painful. They've grown up around it. They've heard that Jesus loves them, but something about their experience was inconsistent with that. But actually, none of these approaches cut it. And more importantly, none of these approaches actually relate to how Jesus goes about evangelism. Because for him, he manages to marry infinite power with endless compassion. And people actually follow him as a result. So in light of this, I want to ask us two questions this morning. One, why should we invite people to church? And two, how do we actually do it? This is uh, John 4. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, named the plot of ground, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So a couple of quick points. One, Jesus is in Samaria. And this is radical. An Orthodox Jew, especially a rabbi of which Jesus was known, would never go near Samaria. It was so imp imperative that he did not step foot on Samaritan soil, or Jewish rabbis did not step foot on Samaritan soil, that if you were traveling somewhere, you would prefer to travel three or four days more and meander your way around the city. Why? Because the Jews hated the Samaritans. In Jewish eyes, the Samaritans were spiritual heretics, and they were complete scum. If you were to cross paths or be touched by a Samaritan, you would be pronounced unholy, unclean. So one, Jesus is in Samaria. Two, Jesus is talking to a woman, and men did not speak to women in public. 
Women, in the first century context, even Jewish women, had no legal rights. They were uneducated. Rabbis refused to teach their daughters um, the Torah because spiritually educating them was considered completely worthless. And more, this particular woman that he's speaking to is coming to draw water at noon. Why is that important? Commentators all say the same thing. Women would fetch water in the morning or in the evening um, together in community. And this woman is going at the heat of the day. Nobody else is with her, which implies that she was, in pu she was publicly disgraced by her town. She was forced to go in isolation because of something that she'd done. Jesus is in Samaria, strike one. Jesus was speaking to a woman in public, strike two. And this woman was a worthless, uneducated, shamed outcast in her community, strike three. And as we continue to read this story, try to imagine, try to feel the palpable shock and the energy of the religious outrage provoked by Jesus's behavior. You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on the mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Because Samaria was so arid, the only available water would have been found in like wells, cisterns, ponds. And as a resident of Sikar, 
this woman would have memorized the whereabouts of every single one of them. So she would go to one, if that one dried up, she would walk to the next, if that one had dried up, she'd walk to the next, and so on. But Jesus offers her something completely unexpected. Apparently, he's able to give her living water. Living water is moving. So it's fresh water, and it flows from springs, rivers, or streams. And according to rabbinic law, living water was precious and highly valued because it was the only water that could be used in ritual washings to make the unclean worshippers clean. So what we know from her response is she is desperate to be cleansed and therefore desperate to know where is this water. But Sikar doesn't have any streams, rivers, or uh, springs. She already knows that. So she's perplexed. Where could this water be? But Jesus isn't talking about physical water. He is not offering her a short-term fix or a short-term religious cleansing. The living water, the Holy Spirit that Jesus offers will well up to eternal life. Verse 14. And quick side point. Whatever you may have been told, eternal life has actually nothing to do with hell. The Greek word for life here is zoe, which is not about physical life uh, or the state of one's soul. It's a quality of life. So um, if you think of yourself uh, reclining into your deck chair uh, for the first time with a spicy margarita in one hand and the knowledge that you're out of office is on for two weeks... And you really allow yourself to just take it in, take in the sunset, and you take the first sip of that ice-cold marg, and you have enough time to just let the jalapeno just hit the back of your throat. Because you've got all the time in the world. You're on vacation. You're in Hawaii. <laughs> that's just my, that's in my dreams. Um, and you sigh, oh, this is Zoe. This is the life. Zoe isn't about your physical existence. It's life beyond your physical body. It's one thing to exist, right? But you don't want to just exist. You want to live. You want to experience things. And Jesus is saying, come to me. Because not only like the rabbinic promise, will my water reinstate you into right relationship with God, but also my water will give you a spring of life in your soul. You will have a whole new purpose a whole new joy, a whole new way of being. This isn't a philosophy. This isn't a set of rules. This isn't ritual cleansing. This is eternal Zoe. And it's a free gift to anyone who's willing to receive it. Before I became a Christian, I always considered Jesus um, kind of in the same category as religion. Uh, And this made sense to me. Christianity was an organized religion. Jesus equals religion. So I spent hours of my time arguing uh, that in the same way that human love, sex, uh, indulgence did not lead to real and consistent and fulfilling um, life, religion could not do any different. And here, Jesus says that I was right. Religion can't satisfy. Religion tells you that if you learn to perform your moral and your religious duties better, you climb 
uh, up the ladder of piety. And the higher you climb the piety ladder, the closer you can apparently get to God. And also while you climb, religion has this tempting ability to make you feel superior. Religion whispers things like, don't speak to that dirty, scummy lowlife below you. You've prayed hard to get here. You've worked really hard to get here. You're a lot better than them. The religious, religious ladder system is all that the Samaritan woman had ever experienced. She was accustomed to her reputation. And at face value, the man that stood before her was a rabbi. She was expecting a Pharisee. She was expecting a religious elitist. The religious ladder system is what I, and honestly, many or most of our non-Christian friends have either experienced or are expecting to experience from church. Our nation has become accustomed to associating, with church, associating church with rejection and judgment, um, accustomed to associating church with small-mindedness and snobbery. And the reality is, they're not actually wrong. But what they've experienced is religion. They haven't experienced living water. Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. Hmm. This sounds a little bit disjointed, doesn't it? Is Jesus changing the subject? Is he trying to prove his divinity? Um, is he just kind of calling out her behavior? I know you've had five husbands. I actually think it's a lot more simple than that. Jesus is just answering her question. She's asked, what is this water? Where is it? And Jesus is saying, this water that I'm telling you about, that's what you've been looking for in men. He's helping her understand. He's saying, you already know the water exists. Your whole life is evidence of that. You know there's something more. You just don't know where it is. And it takes just a brief walk around our city or around Los Feliz to see people trying to quench their thirst. But they're drinking the wrong stuff. And of course, I just want to be crystal clear. We all have, to varying degrees, desires for intimacy and security and influence and for our lives to mean something. And those are, in part, what it means to be a human created by God and made in his image. But Jesus is saying that there's something much deeper, a deeper fundamental thirst that only he can quench. And at its crux, we are thirsty because there's an inherent brokenness at the heart of things because of sin, because we and our world doesn't work as it should. But why should we invite our friends to church? Don't invite them to church because they're broken. That isn't news to anyone. They're trying to quench their thirst elsewhere anyway. Invite them to church so they can meet Jesus and he can revolutionize their heart. 
so he can lavish his grace upon them, so he can set them free into the fullness of life, the eternal life, the Zoe life that they've been created for, just as he can and will do with you. Verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. I actually find these two verses incredibly moving. And not because of the content of what she says. It's just some theology about temples and the worship practices that differ between Jews and Samaritans. But... Because I think behind what she says here is her humanness. This woman is downtrodden and silenced. No one has shown her love. And if Jesus, a man, a rabbi no less, speaking to her, acknowledging her, showing her respect, is not overwhelming enough, he then shares, I already know about your five husbands and the guy that you currently have. But that's okay. You're just thirsty. Come to me. And you can almost feel the stinging of the tears welling in her eyes, the lump in her throat, the pain in her chest unraveling. This Jesus, he knows me. And it's almost like it just gets too much. She has that moment, you know, that moment we've all had where the emotion just is like a barrage and it hits our face and it's completely overwhelming. And so she just tries to deflect it, tries to change the subject. And she's just like scrambling for something. And so she just talks about her ancestors and the place that they worship. And Jesus, he responds with gentleness and with kindness because he knows what she needs. And when she can't grasp onto his theological response, he returns to something that she definitely will understand. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Everyone we know is thirsty. And everyone we know is attempting to quench their thirst. But Jesus knows what they need. What they need is Jesus. They need him. Jesus doesn't end with her spiritual need. He doesn't end with telling her how much she's loved. He doesn't even end with the water. He ends with himself. It's about me. The water comes from me. Salvation comes from me. So how do we invite people to church? We invite them. We have to actually invite them. But we invite them in the knowledge that Jesus already knows everything about them. And he knows what they need. And we invite them knowing that whoever they are, whatever their experience, whatever they believe, Jesus is in the business of breaking through every barrier every division and every wall put up. 
He reaches through the social barriers and the gender barriers, ethnic, moral, and religious barriers. He breaks through trauma and fear, guilt and shame. So all we have to do is ask them whether they want to show up. And then we can take ourselves off the hook and leave them to him. And this is why things like the Alpha course and the baptism service next week that Ed mentioned, these are and will always be fundamental to what we do at Bread. Because they're the perfect, like low bar invite. They take the stress out of this whole, like I've got to invite someone to church. Because they are specifically catered for People who don't normally show up, wouldn't normally feel comfortable being here, don't really know what they think, they're specifically for them. And as Ed mentioned, both of these low bar invites are coming up. So I just want to tell you a little bit about baptism and Alpha, just so you know what to expect. So first, next Sunday is a baptism service, same time, same place, so no issues there. Um, and guest services are always a brilliant way to start because there's like an excitement in the room. You can just join in with the celebration. There's other new people here. Um, there's a couple of songs of worship with the brilliant band, whom I love. Um, and two absolutely adorable babies are being baptized, which will, I don't know, make some of you tear up. And then there's a short break as usual. And then Ed will give a hilarious, intellectually stimulating and thought-provoking talk. Um, and he will answer the question somewhere along the lines of, is there actually any meaning or purpose to us being here? And can I just let you into a little secret? This is actually what Ed's really good at. It is. <laughs> it's what he's gifted to do, to talk to people who aren't sure about what they think, or for people that have had a really bad experience of church. And so, yes, we can trust Jesus with our friends, but we can also trust that Ed's not going to embarrass us. He's not going to say anything that is going to shame or um, condescend or talk down to the people that we love most. I remember the first time I heard Ed speak, I wasn't a Christian. And I remember walking away thinking, hmm, it's kind of funny. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, he's not, like, funny like a comedian. Like, he does say some stuff. Um, Oh, sorry, I didn't want your head to grow too big. You're not a comedian. You could be funnier. Um, and then after the service, uh, we're going to go and have some lunch. And this gives everyone an opportunity to kind of like decompress, just breathe out, have a drink, have a taco or taco, as you guys say, um, and meet some other people. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is alpha. And alpha... And Alpha is where Angel will be. <laughs> um, Alpha starts on Wednesday, the 2nd of October, and it's for five consecutive Wednesdays. Um, and it will be at Cavell Wine Bar, which is literally like stone's throw from here, just on Hollywood. Um, and I just want to show you this. This is an Alpha flyer. We had the maid. There's loads at the back. Take as many as you want. You can give these to your friends. Um, and also, if you have never done Alpha before, I am inviting you right now. Please come. I would love to see you. Um, because the Alpha course is for anyone who hasn't done it before. 
And Alpha is especially brilliant for those people who might find coming to Sunday a little bit like, mm, I'm good. But they are interested in talking about spiritual things. They are interested in talking about what could this all mean? What does life mean? What is there a spiritual dimension to life? Can I actually experience a closeness to, to God or a higher being? What, you know, people have all of these questions. We buy the charcuterie and the flatbread. You buy the drinks from the bar. Um, Ed will speak for about 20 minutes on a different subject each week. And then we meet in small groups and discuss whatever has come up. And the Alpha course is about creating a context where any question can be asked, any opinion can be raised, and it's just a brilliant place to kind of like, I don't know, get things churning around in your brain. We know that there are as many ways to talk to someone about the gospel as there are people in the world. Each time you read about Jesus interacting with someone in the Bible, it's uh, no encounter's the same. His conversation with the Samaritan woman is not the same as his conversation with Zacchaeus, the tax collector, for example. And I think that in particular, this is what Alpha is brilliant for. Different topics are raised, whether you're, I don't know, more intellectually minded, a more heady person, or um, a more emotionally inclined, hearty person. Whether you're a spiritualist or a nihilist, I think you can get something out of it. So come along, if you've never done it, I'm inviting you. Bring your people. Yeah, so you should do both of those things. I think, seeing as I've talked about inviting people, it would be a great thing for us to just take a moment and um, just to think of anyone that might have popped into your head while I've been speaking or to ask God to show us some people that we can be praying about, inviting so why don't you close your eyes? I know that the conversation about bringing people to church can cause a whole host of emotions. Anxiety, stress, a whole ton of excitement for some people. They just can't wait to get inviting. And then somewhere in between the kind of I don't really know why I should be doing this. Whatever you feel right now, why don't you just uh, tell God, God about it? Bring it to him. And Lord, we just invite your spirit. And we ask that you would speak to each one of us about someone that we could invite along. Someone who's potentially kind of up in their head asking all of these questions and they feel alone. Just speak to us. And if anybody's come into your head, why don't you just give them to him? Because this isn't on us.
Lord, thank you that you know each and every one of our friends better than we know them. And thank you that you know what they need. Thank you that you treat them as individuals. And we ask that you would fill us with uh, courage and boldness and with your spirit. To invite them along to church or to Alpha or to baptisms or to just have a conversation in the pub. Lord, we ask that um, you would be with us. In the name of Jesus, amen.